You're listening to Rosie on the House. Come on around back, Arizona. Welcome to the 8 o'clock hour of Rosie on the House. It's our outdoor living hour, second Saturday of the month. That means we are talking trees. We've got ISA certified arborist John Eisenhower in the studio. If you'd like to join the conversation, talk trees, or have a tree question, one 767 4348 one rosie for you Text questions can be sent to 411-923. Or if you'd like a little help with plant or insect identification, you can snap a picture and email that to info at rosieonthehouse.com. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Speaking of, of texting and, and emailing, it's amazing what you can do diagnostically now that we've got technologies. You can take a quick picture. I have customers call in. They've got a question. I'll often talk to them on the phone and just say, hey, can you go out in the yard and just take a couple pictures and send them my way? Oh, yeah, sure. Have them to you in about five minutes. And, you know, a couple minutes later, I've got the pictures on my phone. We're taking a look at it. You know, you can't do certain types of diagnostic work, uh, you know, armchair um, diagnosis. But there's quite a bit of stuff you can see. You know, right away, we can kind of eliminate several things and, and kind of get it dialed in. Sometimes we can, you know, give a pretty darn accurate diagnosis. And here I was thinking I was all special when I text you my tree pictures and ask a question, <laughs> and I got a personal response. Well, you do that for all your customers. It's, it's I wouldn't really nice expect to, anything to leverage, less. To leverage all these technologies, you know, to be able to, uh, you know, help us in every area of our lives. It's pretty amazing. And a great time for trees. Uh, did you see my lemons out there I brought for everybody? I know I you probably have plenty, but we that is one bag of three, and you can't even tell we picked a single lemon. I know. It's amazing this time of year. Those of you who have lemon trees out there, you're going, yeah, yeah, nodding your head. Yeah, I know <laughs> all about that. Yeah, lemons are the most uh, prolific uh, producer of fruit of any of the citrus. I don't know why that is, but they are just they they just are amazing. Amanda chopped up a few, put it in a open pot on the stove with some cinnamon and some other scents and put it on medium wow. warm and the whole day long we just had that's this a great beautiful idea. aroma i think the there's going to be some people doing that this morning no that's that's a great idea no the, it, you, you only wish those lemons were a little sweeter because you know if they were an orange or a tangelo or a tangerine you'd be eating them every day but you can only eat use so many lemons what can you do with all those four or five hundred pieces of fruit roxy does eat them straight out just peels them and eats them like an orange well, good That's, for her. she's one of a few people that can do that. <laughs> yeah. I like I like to juice them and freeze it. There you go. We do that, and, and you, you just got put containers of concentrate that you pull out. Well, we just all summer long, and we put our bags out on the street, and the people who walk by jogging and stuff, they'll just pick up a few, and by the you know end of the week, that bag's gone. We'll put out another one, but the lemons go slower. You know, people grab one or two. If you put out some oranges, they'll grab four or five. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we had someone on Craigslist, or not on Craigslist, on Nextdoor, that app on the phone had uh, said, hey, we've got a, a, um, a tree f- a tan- with full of tangerines. Uh, you want want to g- give them away? Well, they pulled that thing down after about five minutes. It was gone off there. You know, they'll say <laughs> this this uh, message was, you know, was ended. It was only a few minutes later. So they obviously got s- uh, some takers who were going to come and take and strip that tree. Yeah, our fruit trees are, are, are just uh, really putting the fruit on right now. And why it's one of the five seas of Arizona. We've got the tangerine trees that that ripen just around Christmas. And when I was a kid, we always had a tangerine in our Christmas stocking every year. That was something my parents saw, the easy peel ones, you know. Well, now we have one of those easy peel tangerine trees in our yard, and it's really uh, kind of a Christmas tradition with us to 
have one of those in all of our kids' stockings. And yeah, it's it's a lot of fun this time of year. Citrus and, and Arizona, they go. They that they, they, that spells uh, uh, Christmas to me. You know, perfect. Perfect. And we have very similar. Dr. Rosie and Baby K have. They had a tangelo, a lemon, and a grapefruit. And I don't mm. ever remember leaving there. We, we would be packed up and we'd be leaving. And <laughs> Pop Rosie would be out there with shopping cart bags. Oh, no, no, no. Go get up. some citrus off of there. <laughs> we'd have to go back, fill up our bags, and then carry them home. <laughs> oh. I had a Facebook call um, question this week. Can you plant citrus trees this time of year? You know, you can plant, plant trees pretty much all year long in Arizona. But it is starting to get a little bit kind of cold this time of year because it's all about the um, the soil temperatures being uh, high enough to be able to sustain root development. You know, quite often if you put a tree in the ground this late in the year, it's just going to sit there like a potted plant for several months until the soil temperatures warm up and that root activity gets started. So, you know, um, the, fa- the fact that there can still be root activity in Arizona soils because we do have higher soil temperatures than anywhere else around the world Yes, you know you can, but again, you've got the the risk of frost damage, killing those those new um, frost sensitive trees like citrus, ficus. So we don't recommend planting any of those frost sensitive trees this time of year. Better to wait until after the the risk of frost is behind us, about the middle of February. Then you can start planting those frost sensitive trees. Deciduous but trees. If you had nothing else to do and you wanted to. You'd have to cover them, maybe wrap exactly. some lights around them. Take little. a little extra precaution to keep the frost. But, yes, if you really wanted to and didn't have anything else better to do, you could. Yeah, if you want to take those uh, those measures to protect them. And, of course, deciduous trees can be planted this time of year. There's a lot of bare, bare root tree uh, varieties that are, are perfect for this time of year. Your roses, your, your stone fruits, your apples, peaches, pears, plums. Um, you know, Greg Urban Farmer has a lot of those available this time of year, so... Yeah, go out and buy your bare root fruit trees. This is the time of year to get those in the ground between now and the end of January. And understand that no matter what type of fruit tree you're planting, whether it's citrus or stone or nut, you're not going to get a harvest next year more than likely. I mean, you might get a 15, 25-gallon citrus tree that's, you know, five, six, seven years old that might produce for you. But generally speaking, uh, citrus— Wait a year to— Yeah, yeah. produce on— mature wood so it takes a couple years for it to start producing and then on your stone fruits they only produce on new growth but it takes a few years for that to be anything you might get a peach in your first year but it's going to be the size of a pea (laughs) right yeah exactly it's it's uh, producing that fruit on current year's growth so you've got to have a a couple of years growth to 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 get that to go yeah it's really rewarding when you do put that uh when you've planted your own fruit trees i know Many of our listeners have done that, and it's so nice when you have get those first f- f- few pieces of fruit in that first year or so. I was with a customer just a, a week or so ago, and they had a little a little citrus tree they put in a couple of years ago and had seven pieces of fruit on it. And they were just babying those little pieces of fruit. But they were so proud, you know, and it's such a, reward, a rewarding thing to put in a tree yourself, see it produce fruit for that first year or two, and wow, then you're off and running. And like I, I, I've told our listeners in the past, I planted those uh, 20-some-odd uh, fruit trees one year at Greg Peterson's um, recommendation, um, not realizing that they were going to be a little crowded. But that was okay because then we've sort of thinned them out. Now we're down to about 17. And our yard is a, a veritable uh, orchard. I've got, you know, peaches and plums, 
um, apricots. I actually have a pear tree that's uh, producing fruit every year. Really nice, crisp, sweet pears. And um, it's really nice when you you have that fruit and it starts producing for you. And uh, we give a lot away to the birds, but uh, we get a, a fair amount ourselves too. We don't even net net the trees be, anymore because they're a little too tall for us to try to go to the, the effort. So we let the birds have their share. We try to get in there early enough to harvest enough for ourselves and our neighbors and then let the birds have, have a few as well. Now, our tree of the month isn't a fruit-producing one, but it's a great shade-producing tree. Yeah, the Texas live oak, or this, or I should just call it the live oak. That's a safer description because it go. It's Quercus virginiana, and it's uh, of really, course it is. It's called, yeah, <laughs> of course it is. Yeah, it's it's one of several Quercus or oak varieties that are really popular here in Arizona. Uh, the southern live oak, the uh, virginiana, is a uh, an amazing tree, uh, evergreen, uh, a beautiful bulletproof tree, I like to call them, because they have no known pests or or insect problems or pathogen problems, which makes it one of those trees that you can put in with a lot of confidence that you're not going to have a lot of health issues with it. It's a little more slow growing than some of our our, uh, um, other hybrid um, mesquites and polyverdes. But it's it's one of those trees that's really well adapted to our, our soil conditions and our and our temperature here. Once it gets established, it's a beautiful tree, super low maintenance, which is really nice. Doesn't require a lot of pruning. Uh, again, it's a little more slow growing, but it you can uh, you know check with your nursery, and they have some uh, varieties that are wider than they are tall, so you have more of a shade tree. Other ones that are more vertical and are taller than they are wide, so you have a nice uh, if you're looking for that uh, vertical um, uh, application, some of your yards wanting a little more height to block a power pole in that back corner of your yard. Uh, this We had one of our customers put one in just to screen out this power pole that was right in the corner of their backyard. And so we set that tree, and, man, it's it, that thing's not about 35 feet tall. It's completely screened out that power pole, and that tree's doing really well. One of the other good qualities of live oak is they're, they're – adaptable to to water, to a little higher water area. So they're great for a lawn, um, and they, they can handle the water, whereas a lot of our desert trees don't like their feet wet. And with that constant watering for the to keep the lawn going, it can really mess up a lot of our desert trees. But this live oak just loves water, so you can put it in a lawn setting, and, uh, and they're just a really elegant and uh, a really... Uh, Beautiful tree. It's one of my favorite trees. If you, if I was listing on on uh, my top two favorite trees, neither one are native, <laughs> but the Chinese elm and that Texas live oak are some of the the nicest trees around and well adapted to our soil conditions and our temperature. Now the elms are deciduous, correct? Yeah, elms. Now your live oak's evergreen. Yep. So you've got one deciduous got one and cho- one evergreen. That's yeah, right. You got you got your choice. And for those live oaks, you talked about some being wider and some being taller. Nurseries will propagate if they find a tall one. They'll propagate the acorn harvest, and they'll you know they expect the next trees to take those next same generation to take on those characteristics, and they'll actually grow them specifically for that. So right. if you're so looking for your one nursery. or the other, exactly. So look for that cultivar. They have the cathedral live oak, which is the one that's a little taller than it is wide, and they're uh, really popular. And so, be, But check with your nursery because you want to make sure you get the one that's going to suit your uh, application. 
We're talking trees with John Eisenhower, one 767 4348 That's one 888 rosie for you to join the conversation. Lemon tree, very pretty, and the lemon flower is sweet. But the fruit of the poor lemon is impossible to eat. Lemon tree, very pretty. <laughs> Where do you find a song on lemon trees? <laughs> oh, this was a huge hit. Oh, in the 60s. Of course yeah. it was. Of course. of course it was. The lemon is not impossible to eat, of course. It's a euphemism. <laughs> Lent sent us a picture of a vine. He wanted to know what it was. It's located on a home in South Chandler. The homeowner does not know what it is. Mr. Eisenhower, you think you've got a lead for him? Well, vines are not my, my strong suit, but uh, it looks like a snail vine. And you might want to look that up and see if that matches the leaf description. It's hard to see the actual leaf shape. But yeah, thank you for sending that in. That's awesome. Uh, keep them coming. And a snail vine? Snail vine. Snail vine. Yes. And I don't know about South Chandler, but I do know uh, you could get on 87 and head north to Treeland Nursery, and they would probably have six or seven of whatever this one is. Yeah, uh, in- exactly. And that's what we do. We often go to the nursery. There's so many uh, plant varieties and species and cultivars, uh, different colors that has a purple bloom. There's some, you know, snail vines that are, are lighter, pink-colored. So, you know, there's so many um, cultivars out there now that we have to really go back and brush up. And then their botanical names are changing, too, which is totally frustrating. How, how do you change botanical names? Just as soon names? as you get to <laughs> learn Pithyslobium flexicali, then they, cha- <laughs> then they change the genera, and it's not, the, it's not the same. It's not Pithyslobium anymore. It's like some other weird name. First they changed math, then they had Ibano. to change Greek. How about that? I know. I mean, you know, they, they got to give us some— we're working on all these botanical names, and then they change the genus on us. It's like, come on, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see if we can help Eileen with a crepe myrtle in Chandler. Good morning, and welcome to the program. Good morning. Thank you so much for taking my call. I might, you have to, uh, um, I have a situation with my husband. He doesn't want me to do it, so that's why I figured I have to ask you. We have two beautiful, beautiful crepe myrtle trees on our front lawn, and they are gotten quite tall, and I wanted to trim them down to make them all look like a round bush. <laughs> do you have any suggestions? Is it a yes or a no for trimming? Um, I'm going to have to side with your husband. <laughs> oh, oh, Lordy, okay. Well, <laughs> well to your credit, to your credit, this is the time of year to be pruning your crepe myrtle. As with all other deciduous trees, those that lose their leaves in the winter are best pruned during their dormancy. So it's a good time to be thinking about pruning that crepe myrtle. But there's a proper way to do it. And I, from what you described about, you know, uh, rounding it down into a smaller shape, that probably would involve making what we call heading cuts. And that's just cutting branches at an arbitrary location just to a predetermined height. And that's usually not good because out of those those abrupt cuts that you make, a big flush of disorganized growth will come out, and you'll have a, a very difficult tree to manage uh, going forward in terms of uh, pruning it next year and the year following. But there is a, a proper way to reduce those branches on your crepe myrtle if you want to make it a little smaller and get it a little more under control. And that's to cut those branches that you're wanting to reduce uh, back to a lateral branch. So you're going to be cutting those longer branches and cut them back to a side branch uh, that's at least one-third the diameter of the one you're cutting. And then the tree will push its 
uh, nutrients into that side branch instead of flushing out this ugly, disorganized witch's broom of, of growth out of, the, out of a heading cut. So if you want to reduce it back, you know, try to cut back to a side branch that grows in a favorable direction, and then you'll have a, a, a smaller tree, but it won't, it, it'll actually look a little more normal as it, grow, as it, as it grows into the next uh, season. Right. Okay. Thank you. Because I actually have people stopping on the road to look at the tree when it's blooming and like in June, it's absolutely, it's amazing the way, how beautiful it is. But alrighty, uh, again, I feel thank f- you so much for your help. You're welcome. Feel free to send a photo to us so we can see it. I'd like to see how it is and how, how short you want it to get. There are certain trees that people do take that tactic. When they get too big, they do the hacksaw jack and yeah. chop everything out. And then like you see those, like you said, witch's broom flush out. Uh, yeah, and and there a lot of our trees just get rangy and and leggy. They'll have branches growing in in a direction we don't want. It kind of distorts the sh- overall shape of the tree. Well, there's a proper way to bring those sides and that those tops back down without me just uh, hacking them off. Because uh, once you hack them off, as I said, this big flush of disorganized growth comes out of those cuts, and then you have this witch's broom that's really hard to manage. Uh, going forward so it just takes takes longer and costs more but like any job to do it right takes longer and probably costs a little more yep that's right let's go to tucson welcome to the conversation you have a question on a live oak yes uh hey i'm glad you were speaking about the live oak we put in the uh, heritage live oak in a memorandum of my uh, wife who passed in 2011 and the tree did very well it went into the ground it probably had a 15 or 10 year old tree. I don't really know. We got it from Kelly Nursery. But mm-hmm. anyhow, it was deprived of water a year ago and it lost every single leaf or it started to anyway. And we caught it, we think, in time on uh, the park officials and they watered it and it's back now. And I would say 85% covered with nice, I think, rich leaves, which is about 10 or 11 inches of bare branch. What is the forecast at this venture on that particular tree, which we certainly don't want to lose? Well, are the dead portions of the tree out on the ends of the branches, or are they... uh, On the ends of the branches. Yeah, those might just have to be nipped off because it probably did die back from those tips, and those are, you know, you can wait until the, the foliage grows past those tips in the next three or four years, or you can carefully remove those dead ends so, yeah, there's a couple options there, but that doesn't sound like it's too bad if you only lost 10 or 12 inches. Yeah, I think it'll survive. one 767 4348 That's brave enough to say the word deciduous. Talking Trees with John Eisenhower. Rosie on the house. I have a text question in at 411-923. Mandarin orange tree, all the leaves have curled. That's growing on the north side of a block wall fence and watering two hours on drip two times a week. What do you think? Well, it, it might be a little too waterlogged. You know, after the rain we've had, two hours of deep soaking twice a week might be a little too often. I would say once a week would be plenty. You might even want to go to a 10-day or a two-week schedule for that deep soaking Better to even go three hours and go about every two or three weeks. That would be better than two hours. Because if you're ever putting water on top of water, it's not a good situation. 
and that probably is just some wilt due to a little too oversaturation, is my guess. Um, also, the heavy uh, moisture in our soils can lead to fungal pathogens that can become active in that in that wet environment. And you definitely don't want to have a fungal pathogen getting active. A lot of our citrus trees are, fight Phytophthora, which is the most common soil-borne uh, pathogen that uh, affects our citrus trees. Uh, one of the uh, professors at the U of A recently just said that there's no hardly any citrus trees anywhere in Arizona that don't have Phytophthora at some point in their in their life. Uh, so it's a it's a pathogen that's there in the soil, but it has to, it has to have the optimum conditions to become active and start to hurt the trees. And trees that are healthy are often fighting uh, those those unhealthy uh, pathogens in the uh, in the soil, but. If the water conditions are moist and stay moist, and then we have some elevated soil conditions, uh, Phytophthora can get active. And one of the signs that you have Phytophthora is those those lesions, those cankers uh, that are bleeding sap out on the tr- on. Uh, all of a sudden, you see that your citrus bark cracking, and this amber-colored uh, liquid comes out. Uh, that's gamosis, and it's an often an, a sign that you have Phytophthora that's uh, active in the soil. And that can be treated, but it's uh, certainly nice to prevent it, you know, rather by, by keeping that, uh, allowing the soil profile to dry out adequately between watering. So never put water on top of water on top of water. And if you're, if you're in doubt whether there's, the soil is moist or not, take a long screwdriver or a piece of rebar or something and push it down into the soil and see how deep that saturation is. And wait until that soil is dry and 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 resists your 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 long screwdriver. Then you know that that soil is is dried up and and uh, is ready for some more water. I bought a soil prod from Good. Fisher Tools. There you go. It's fiberglass and it's perfect because it's yes. it's not metal. Because on a metal one, you could push a lot farther down. Mm-hmm. Because it, but that fiberglass, it's got just enough tension that you can tell. Okay, you know, <clears throat> I'm I'm hitting some solid dirt down here. Where that steel one, you could probably get a few inches further before you yeah. hit that kind of resistance. And, you, and that has changed my entire watering. And I have not had water on. We had a great rain last weekend, and then the yes. week leading up to Thanksgiving, I haven't watered any of my trees We've had, since so, then. We, yeah, and a lot of you have put your uh, your sprinkler timers on on the rain setting, and good for you. Just save yourself some water, and you'll you'll look at your trees late afternoon, and there's not going to be any wilt for a long time after that soaking rain we had for those couple of last couple of weeks. Um, you shouldn't have to be watering at all for quite a while, so the, be careful. The challenge with curling leaves is you think, oh, I'm not watering enough, so you add more water. When curling leaves can also mean too much water. Can too much water. Yeah, that's where that's, that soil probe really comes that in. That soil probe is really nice. And those of you who want to look one up online. You, want, you can look up tile probe, T-I-L-E, uh, uh, because they, those probes are often used in, a, in other, another industry for uh, looking for sewer tiles. So uh, uh, look up tile probe, and you'll find that three- or four-foot fiberglass tile probe, and they're not very expensive. They're well worth the investment. I like the four-foot one because it does let you get down deeper for some of your larger trees and to see if that depth of saturation has gone beyond that two-foot, three-foot um, depth. 
Well, and if you're checking more than one tree, it's a lot faster than getting down on your hands and knees with a screwdriver every couple exactly. feet. Exactly. There you go. Just yeah, walk around it. It's got a little T handle on the top. You can push down and yes, not have to be bending over. That's All right. It. Before we get to the calls, well, let's hit a couple of our talking our monthly tree to dos before we run out of time this hour. Can you already believe we're over halfway through the hour? Yeah, it's been fun. It's good. Well, you know, we talked about deciduous trees, your elms, your ash, your pecans, your mulberries, your stone fruit. Someone mentioned a crepe myrtle, desert willow, vitex. All these are uh, deciduous trees, and they're going to lose their leaves this time of year. Not only is it a good time to plant deciduous trees, but it's also a great time to, to prune them. And it's really the best time. Sap's not flowing, and it's a good time to get in there and do some trimming. The uh, uh, Speaking of trimming in the winter, we had a uh, last week I did an aerial inspection. Yes, I still climb. I'm 65, but I still don't want to hang up the, the, the uh, climbing spurs uh, quite yet. But every now and then I do climb a tree, and I climb this big, tall pine tree because the top of it looked like it was it was declining, and I couldn't really tell why. And some of these larger trees, to do a good diagnosis of the problem, you need to do an aerial inspection. Sure enough, I got up in the top of this big pine tree and found sooty canker. Sooty canker is an airborne fungal pathogen that affects a lot of smooth-barked trees and a lot of the deciduous trees I just mentioned, like the ash and the, 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 the mulberries, the pecans. They, they can get sooty canker quite easily because they're, they're smooth-barked. Sooty canker is opportunistic. It's usually airborne, comes in, and it, and it finds a break in the cambium, in the bark somewhere. So sunburn trees are really susceptible to it, especially the smooth bark trees that are, um, that are easily sunburned. And those that are open to that, and then we get our monsoon storms come in. One of our big dust storms blows in, and it's carrying a lot of that, that uh, sooty canker fungus in the air. And it deposits into your trees, and then before you know it, you have an infection. Now, will that infection spread on a multi-trunk tree? Sure. Uh, oh, okay. Once it's into the cambium, it's really hard to eradicate. If you catch it early enough and it's out in the smaller branches on the tree, uh, the, the, the treatment protocol is to just cut into good wood 6 or 12 inches below the infected area and remove that infected piece of wood, and maybe you'll be okay. The problem is is it travels through the, the cambium, through the vascular system of the tree, and the sooner you can catch it, the better, because it will travel from the smaller branches down into the larger branches, and once it's into the trunk of the tree, it's impossible to, to get rid of. And how do I tell that I have it? You'll start to see decline, leaf drop, and you'll also see uh, it, when you scratch the bark, You'll see some little wet areas often, and if you scratch below those, you'll see black fungal spores. It looks like soot, and if you rub them with your thumb and, you, and your thumb is all black, uh, there's little microscopic black uh, fungal spores that, uh, that account for that sooty uh, appearance. And it's real easy to see. The name just defines it, and that also describes it. It's called sooty canker. And you'll find it on your smooth bark trees. If you have it in your yard, you need to take some immediate measures to start getting it under control. And because you can't have to look to for that sooty black, because right now your deciduous trees, your smooth bark trees, they're already losing their leaves anyway. Yes. So that wouldn't be an indication. Look for that black sooty on the physical trunk itself. Yeah, and sometimes it's underneath the bark, and you'll you, you only find it on the branches that have died. 
So when we find that, that's what I went up into this pine tree, and there's several dead branches up in the very top. The bottom of the tree is perfectly green. That's why I had to get up in the top to, to look. And sure enough, I got up on those 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 branches that had, had died and uh, rubbed the bark, and and they flaked right off, and I could see the black underneath. But, yeah, they also had some sooty canker on some mulberry trees at the other side of their property, 150 feet away. And I'm thinking that it probably transferred from one of those trees to the other. So if you have it in your yard, you want to get it under control because it can spread to your other trees. Tree removal. We had a couple tornado warnings, some strong gusts. A few, yeah. knocked, a few knocked down. I'm sure your tree removal we side were, of the we business was busy. We were quite close to that uh, tornado that, was, that apparently touched down near the freeway and the, the 51 and 32nd Street area. And we it was really howling. Woke us up 3 o'clock, 3.30 in the morning. And it was so windy. And we have a large pine tree right outside our bedroom that I told Kim we better go downstairs. So as soon as we got downstairs, my phone went off. And sure enough, tornado warning, take cover. I've never had that happen before where we had the warning come <laughs> up on your phone. And it said, take cover. Well, we had just done that. We were downstairs on my daughter. We sat up on my daughter's bed. The three of us were down there. We love storms. I mean, we're crazy. We're the kind of people that run out in the street and do a dance in the middle of the storm. I mean, people from the Midwest would think you are crazy. And we are because we usually don't have more than just a big blow. But lately, we've had some pretty wicked storms. And it, it does you know, give you a pause to uh, consider that we should take shelter and not be so um, so careless. But, yeah, we've had a, a lot of trees went down in that storm. We had uh, some of the communities, I guess, Gilbert got a, a couple of, um, uh, got a tornado there, and I guess there was one out in Queen Creek. So three tornadoes um, in in a very short period of time, and uh, they can do some uh, some damage. But the, the question is, you know, um, you know, we don't want to have to remove trees. Sometimes when they fall over, we have no choice to take them out. But, you know, people ask, ask us, you know, what, why would anyone want to take down a tree and how do you know if it needs to come down? And like that big pine tree, uh, unfortunately, that big 40-plus foot pine tree that I found the city canker in, my recommendation is to take it out because it's going to cause a, a, a very high risk of infection on other trees. And it's starting to decline now and those dead branches are going to be dangerous and could fall. Um, but there are other trees that just become hazardous because they're getting too large for their location. Maybe they have some um, other uh, disease uh, like like uh, heart rot at the base of the tree where the decay is so invasive that the tree could be unstable and fall over. You have other trees that are causing a disruption to the hardscape. And although uh, we are really all about saving trees, there are uh, trees have a reason and a season, and sometimes when that reason and season expire, your only other option is to think about taking them down. And when you take them down, you can mulch them, and they just provide new growth and new soil condition for the next one. That's right. By the way, we do have a, a, a chip delivery service. If people need wood chips, you know, get on our waiting list. And when we're in your area and you want 22 cubic yards of, of uh, wood chips, um, we'll drop them off in your driveway. And now you, you can guys... spend the next two weekends distributing them around your yard. But now... they're awesome. They're, the wood chips are awesome for dust control. They keep mud down. They're, they're a wonderful uh, nitrogen recycling, a nutrient source, and they're awesome. Now, I have been on your list, I think, for 10 years, but you don't get to my <laughs> side of the woods very often. There is a new website that— Chip Dump. 
chip dump. Yeah. And I've been on that waiting list, and I saw they had a delivery to Whitman just within the last 20 days. So finally, nice. it may look like I'm going to get one. But you can go to this website, get on the waiting list, and different arborists, they work with them as they're cutting down and chipping. It may not even be a tree that was completely taken out. They may have right. just done a major pruning on a large tree, and they've got all these chips. And instead of them going into the landfill the landfill, they will come deliver them at your yard. You just have to, you got to understand, they're not going to be there today. Love they it. may not be there next week. They may not be there next month, but right. you get on this waiting list. And as supply becomes available, if you're next on that list, they'll drop it at your house. Do you have yeah. the website again? Is it chipdump? Chipdump.com, I think. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a great little service. We, we love it. Just any, any anything to keep that, that green... Um, waste out of the landfill and get it back into the yards where it can really do a lot of good. You know, up in the Pacific Northwest, my son and, and his tree service, they're chipping their trees right onto the their client's property. They never they never even take the chips off their property because they have a lot of wooded areas and they can do that. Here in Arizona, a little, little more difficult, but um, those wood chips are, are, are miraculous in what they can do for your yard. Trees can't speak, but John Eisenhower speaks their language. Talking Trees with Rosie on the House. A couple text questions for you before we hit our final talking points. Now, it's a 480 area code. That doesn't mean a whole awful lot because one of these other area codes in the text is 507. And I'm pretty sure wherever that is, we can... Highly unlikely we have someone streaming from out of state asking a question about Bogan Vias. But anyway, the first one from a 480 area code, irrigation redone, and the landscaper took irrigation off my mesquite. One question about this, he said it was mature enough it didn't need irrigation. Is that true? Well, not not really. All trees need water in one way or another. The uh, If you have a, a lot of other shrubs and flowers and ground cover, uh, in and around your trees, of course, it's it, your trees will be borrowing water from from them. Um, but yeah, you can back off. Our trees are most of our our desert trees are pretty drought tolerant, so they don't need the amount of water that we tend to put on all of our other landscape plants. So be really careful that you don't overwater. No, no reason to be putting a, a bunch of water on on trees that are just going to be turning it into vegetative growth that you're going to have to manage and prune. So if you want to kind of slow down your trees, you can back off on the water and put them on a subsistence diet, so to speak, so that they're going to be growing more slowly. Uh, you know, I like to, you know, str my, lightly stress or stress my trees out and, and get, have them a little water stressed and then bring them back, you know, to life with a little with just enough water to keep them healthy rather than to be throwing water at them, wasting your water and also as I said, you know, giving the, the trees more water than they can utilize. So, but uh, I the, we we have capped the emitters on uh, desert trees in the past, but just just people think that oh, you know, once desert trees get established, they can live on live on just seasonal rain. Um, that's not necessarily true. In some of those really dry years that we have, in a year like now, uh, the, when we've had some really nice seasonal rain on a regular basis every few months, we've had a nice uh, deep soaking. Uh, you probably could get through a, 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 a annual cycle with very little supplemental water. If you cut off the water for a tree that's used to getting water, it could see some withdrawal. And when you look at the desert, sometimes it's beautiful and it's green. Sometimes it's very brown. 
your tree will tend to look like the desert and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, do you want that tree to look brown at drought times or keep that supplemental water on there to keep it green and healthy? Right. And if you do do a lawn conversion and you, you actually take a, um, a tree off of the regular watering they were getting, that sometimes can be a delicate process because some trees that have have become accustomed to uh, lawn irrigation for many, many years, and then people eliminate the lawns and put in a, a rock lawn. That can be really hard on some trees that are, are thirsty and need a little bit more water. Next question, planted medium-sized queen palms, bougainvillea, and pygmy in October. What's the best way to keep them alive through the cold and winter? Yeah, you definitely want to try to cover them with some uh, frost cloth. Make sure that frost cloth gets all the way down to the ground, and then you can put some bricks or something on to keep that frost cloth from pulling back up. Even a few tent pegs can help. Uh, make sure that no air gets underneath that. You want to try to keep that humidity and moisture inside that uh, little dome of frost cloth that you've you've put over the top. And a little a little fertilizer, late season fertilization might not be a bad idea. It should be a low a low nitrogen. Uh, formulation. You don't want to push any vegetative growth. You want to try to encourage a little more root development. So a little high, higher on the phosphorus and potassium end of that um, uh, fertilizer mix uh, will help uh, encourage really strong root development. That'll make uh, a lot of difference in terms of getting through a, a cold winter. And our final two points on our monthly tree to-dos for December. You've got a note here about uh, oleander leaf scorch. Yeah, the oleander leaf scorch has been a a, a real uh, a bummer for our Phoenix area. It's been it's a it's a pathogen that's killing a lot of our oleanders around town. You'll see it start with a little bit of wilting, and then eventually those wilted leaves will go brown. And uh, it, if you see that happening in your oleanders, you very likely have a xylella fastidiosa. It's that oleander leaf scorch, and it's it's there's no known cure for it. Now, if I memorize that term, yeah. how long before they change it on me? Well, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a terrible disease. It's killing a lot of oleanders around town. It's just kind of a slow death. Certain um, uh, varieties of, of, of uh, oleanders seem to be a little more resistant to it. Some people have, ha- have had success cutting out the dead portions and then just working with their um, oleanders to give them a little, a little longer life. Uh, you could fertilize them, try to improve the cultural conditions around your plants to give them a better growing environment uh, to help them to, you know, on their own to fight off the disease. But just like the uh, sooty canker, this is actually brought in by an insect that uh, that that f- feeds on the plant. And once the it, its saliva carries the virus and it gets into the vascular system of the oleanders, it starts to travel through the oleanders. So you'll see the dieback start out on the branch ends and work its way down into the plant. Some people have had success when they, they see that they have it to cut the plants all the way to the ground with the hopes they're going to get ahead of the main infection. Whether that's um, going to work or not, I don't know, because it, it could have traveled all the way down into the root system very quickly within a few days or weeks' time. But there's some people have had success actually regrowing them from the ground up. And if you need a certified arborist for an inspection, consultation, or a tree service, saveatree.org, saveatree.com, I'm sorry, saveatree, S-A-V-A-T-R-E-E.com. 